Welcome into Locked On Knicks, continuing our player capsules. This is part two of our discussion with Tom Piccolo of the Talking Knicks podcast. I'm Alex Wolf. He's Gavin Shaw. Gavin, we have some good stuff in this discussion today. This was uh, full disclosure recorded before the first preseason game. So, you know, the takes on on Julius Randle, maybe not quite indicative of what he's done so far in the preseason, but in a, a much more relatable way, maybe they are pretty indicative because things have seemed more or less the same throughout a lot of the preseason. So we get into that and Alec Burks today. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to to get into Randall with Tom because I I personally I got a ton of stats together. I know Tom is a big stats guy. It's going to be a stats haven uh, on Julius Randall and most of them indicating uh, where he's bad for the Knicks. And we're going to talk about how the Knicks could potentially put the right lineups around Randall um, to maximize his ability. And and we there were situations last year where despite everything we say about Julius Randall, mostly me. Um, where, where Randall was a pretty effective player. There are ways to bring out the best in him. We get into that with Tom, and we get into a lot on Alec Burks. And the stats paint, um, unlike Julius Randall, a very rosy picture about what Alec Burks is as a player. I, I tell you, if you put a certain combination of numbers together, it paints him as one of the better or more effective wings in the entire NBA. We've already seen his hot shooting this preseason. Uh, we get into that and how his, how his overall shot will be one of the most essential skills the Knicks have this year. And I make an impassioned case, Alex, for why Alec Burks could be the single most important player to this Knicks team's success this season. All that and more right now with Tom Piccolo of Talking Knicks on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Um, Alex, you want to, should we go to Alec Burks now or you, you, you want to save Randall for the end? Let's go to Randall. Uh, I think Alec Burks is a, uh, is a nice note to end on, uh, rather than Randall. So yeah, Julius Randall, uh, I feel like he doesn't need too much introduction. I think everybody has their own distinct opinion of him from last year, but he averaged 19 and a half points, 9.7 rebounds, 3.1 assists last year, uh, shot a slash line of 46% field goals, 27.7% from three and 73.3 percent from the line uh he also averaged approximately 3.5 failed spin moves into the paint per game Mm -hmm. and uh yeah in general i mean to recap his first season with the knicks many people myself included talked themselves into the new orleans pelicans version of julius Randle, which was a guy who was mostly an elite pick and roll and pick and pop threat uh and found a lot of success that way he finished like i forget the exact number but it was in the 90 plus percentile uh, of pick and roll finishers with the pelicans prior to coming to the knicks he also shot 34.4 percent on almost three three-point attempts per game that year and i think that was largely due to the fact that he was not taking so many pull-ups but was taking more just spot up like pick and pop looks and you know that gave him 
the best percentage of his career by far. And then this past year, I think ultimately what happened was for one thing, he was signed into the spot that or into the salary slot that plus a few million dollars would have been Kevin Durant's salary slot. And I think as a result, had a lot of the same pressures thrust upon him by both the front office and David Fisdale. Um, I, you know, I don't want to totally absolve Randall for like how he played sometimes last year, but I do think that he was ultimately sort of told by Fisdale, like, like pumped up to be like, you're a superstar. Like you, you need to have the ball in your hands every single play down, down the floor. Like if we're not feeding you the ball over and over, we're doing something wrong. When in reality, I think that we know that Randall can potentially be like a really elite pick and roll finisher and stuff like that, but he's not, he shouldn't be the guy bringing the ball down the floor for you. He shouldn't be the guy running ISOs, you know, and all this other stuff. And David Fisdale essentially tried to use him like LeBron James for the first 22 games of the season when they went four and 18. I think what happened after that was pretty much the whole rest of the season. Mike Miller had to attempt to deprogram that from Julius Randle because we saw stretches where Randall was playing quite a bit better. And I, you know, the Knicks play on the floor was representative of that. I mean, we've, we've gone over it a number of times, but the winning percentage that they had under Mike Miller would have put them almost in the playoffs. Like they were, they were shooting for, if, if you just took Mike Miller's sample of the season and extrapolated it over the full, however many games the Knicks wound up getting in 60, whatever, they probably would have been in the bubble and who knows if they would have made the playoffs then. But it, it was definitely would have been in the conversation. And, you know, there were some really good games by Randall in there that, that helped buoy that. There was also, you know, good games from Frank and from Mitch and from RJ and all kinds of other guys that is more uh, exciting <laughs> as a fan because those guys hopefully should be around longer. But, you know, Randall did sort of, uh, at least to me, rehabilitate his image uh, in my eyes a little bit after that really rough start to the season. But Tom, what was your overall takeaway from Randall last year? I'm sure you also have some really cool stats for us because you've been great with bringing the stats all night. Uh, And then, you know, just kind of what are you expecting from him going into this year? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that image rehabilitation thing is interesting because, I mean, well, there's a few things. So first of all, we start with positionally uh, at Knox uh, last segment. I think we could start there with Randall, too. You were bringing up a lot of New Orleans stats, and I think the interesting thing there is that he played 70% of his minutes at center in New Orleans. I don't know if that was next to Anthony Davis and they were counting Davis as the power forward. That might have been the case. What um, had happened with there, I think, mm-hmm. a lot not to interrupt, but no, when – so Davis got hurt for a large portion of that year. Like Randall was supposed to sort of be like the sixth man, I think, backing up Davis in a way. And then Davis got hurt and then started more or less intentionally sitting games when he was trying right. to get traded. And so Davis barely played the whole year that Randall was there, which I think is part of why he wound up playing a lot more center. But as you're probably about to say, it worked out pretty well. It did, yeah. Statistically, the team was much better with him at, during those 70% of his minutes at center versus 30% power forward. But last year, he played. Randall played 95% of his minutes at power forward and just five at center. So, I mean, yeah. That's an issue when you have this pick and roll, like roll man who last year he fewer than 10% of his possessions were used as a pick and roll roll man. And when he did get the chance to do it, he was in the bottom quarter of the league at it efficiency wise. So like that's the problem there being the 
the paint was so crowded, right? He's playing power forward next to Mitch or, you know, a lot of times maybe it's with Bobby Portis, but I mean, either way, like the, the paint was crowded, right? So, you know, that's, that's a huge issue with, with his usage. Um, I don't know. Like part of me is uh, you talked about his contract and that kind of the reason why Knicks fans were down on him because that should have gone to, to KD, but next year he is, only guaranteed $4 million. And that only, you know, that might not be an issue because you guys seem to to both think that he's going to be traded. And let's start there. Do you got, because part of me thinks that frankly, I don't think that teams are going to really want him. Like who's going to be clamoring to get Julius Randle for a playoff push. You guys both seem to think that that's going to be the case though. I mean, to me, go ahead, Gavin, you can go first. I was just going to say, I think it, it essentially comes down to how the Knicks use him because I, I think they did an incredibly poor job of, of marketing him last season by, again, as Alex said, um, tell, having David Fisdale tell him to put on a Superman cape and, and try and carry the team to wins. It, how he would be used on a good team would be very similar to how Montrezl Harrell was used on the Clippers last year as, as sort of a spark plug big off the bench. I don't think he's quite as good of a player as Harrell because Harrell's at least uh, at times decent defensively while Randall uh, at least based on my personal eye test and a lot of stats usually doesn't hit those marks um but I think I think there's a role for him on the right team that needs a little bit more offense off the bench I don't even know if that's necessarily a playoff team but I I do think if the Knicks are smart they will play him in bench units with a lot of shooters around him and Randall will will score efficiently in that scenario he's, he's the, the thing he does really well and this coming from a Julius Randall hater is he's very very good at finishing at the rim and you, you give him proper spacing, you give him a runway, you give him some decent passers to play with. Um, he's going to put up numbers. And I, I still think, I mean, ultimately like the, the entire league has gotten far, far smarter. There are a lot of people who will, who will sort of fall for the false utility of a big who can score a lot of points efficiently against bench units. And I think there's an avenue to get a second round pick for him. Granted, um, the, obviously this offseason there wasn't. So I, I wouldn't say I'm overwhelmingly confident, but I, I do think, if the Knicks do their job correctly with Randall, which I, I guess I do have my doubts about, um, there, there's a way to get a second round pick for him. But Alex, what do you think? I will throw a familiar name out there as a case in point on this whole thing. All right, guys, we'll be back with Tom in just a second. But first, let me tell you about a new podcast on the Locked On Network. Betting on the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game. And I know for me, I usually don't gamble. Whatever I do, I'm pretty bad on it. I, I need all the help I can get. I think there's a phenomenon out there where most people think they're much better at gambling than they actually are. There's a reason that the house always wins. It's because most people suck. If you don't want to suck anymore, you got to listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wager. Subscribe to the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. And that is Ennis Cantor. I knew you were going to go there. Um, Ennis Cantor once got cut from the Knicks and signed with Portland. And much to the chagrin of every Knicks fan that hated him in his time on the Knicks was a huge part of Portland getting to the Western Conference Finals a couple years ago. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a potential for Randall to be like that because really I think Randall is just ultimately if you're looking at like archetypes, a little smaller, like maybe not quite as good of a rebounder, but he's basically a better version of Ennis Cantor um, if you use him properly. You know, he he has more utility as a defender. I don't think that 
I mean, Gavin, I know you're of the opinion that he's basically useless on defense. I think that if you put him in proper enough situation, like if you can make it so that he doesn't have to think too much (laughs) without putting it too meanly, but if, you know, in one-on-one situations, he's not too shabby. Um, He could definitely be worse. Let's put it that way. He could be like Ennis Cancer. Um, So, you know, I think that if Ennis Cancer can find a way to go to a team, you know, there's always that one or sometimes there's even two teams that just get, you know, killed with injuries and, you know, have a bunch of unexpected circumstances come up that makes it so that they need a big man. And big man, traditionally, I think just because of their size, is a position that gets injured at least as much as any other position, if not more, because of the fact that, you know, you're talking about guys that are just not meant to be built as big as they are. Because uh, I just don't think human bodies are meant necessarily to be like seven feet tall uh, and hold up for a long time. So, you know, you're, you're going to run into injury situations and some team, maybe even the Clippers for that matter, since they just lost uh, Montrez Harrell and might be looking for that same type of production from someone else uh, or any one of a number of other teams, you know, that are trying to make a playoff push or whatever. I think could be interested in them. As Gavin said, not for much, probably like a second round pick. Um, but it, you know, if the Knicks are able to successfully rehabilitate his value, that is, which is going to require playing him more like he was played in New Orleans than playing him how he was played last year with Fisdale. And that second round pick return is kind of what I what I what I get hung up on because I do think Julius Randle will be statistically and, and maybe even actually the best player on this Knicks team. And I just think this front office taking. I think he'll lead the team. Like I don't know if this is a bold prediction. I think that Randall will lead the team in points per game, in rebounds per game, in usage. I, I, I think he'll be top, at least top two in minutes per game, uh, along with Barrett. And like, I, I just would be surprised if this front office had the the chutzpah, we'll say, to like trade the team's best player for a second round pick. Like I just think that there's a segment of the fan base that would just think that's insane. Like I thought this team wants to be competitive. This team wants to get better. And they're, you know, like that whole narrative would come around. Um, I don't know. And you guys are talking about them potentially using Randall correctly. And I I don't know if you guys see it this way, but I kind of see it as like functionally a contract year for Randall. I mean, he has a non-guaranteed his salary next year is non-guaranteed. I don't know that the Knicks would bring him back if they were to keep him for a full $20 million. Like it's basically, a, it's basically a contract year for him. And, and that worries me that he would just kind of go full Randall, like getting his numbers, ignoring the young guys. And I, granted, this is much more pessimistic than what you guys are saying, but this is kind of the other side of the coin. And uh, I, it, it does concern me um, that he, like he'll, I think he'll get his numbers, but I don't think that's necessarily conducive to like developing the young guys. It's kind of a mirror image of, of what we saw last year. And that's sort of my, my worst fears. I feel like I'm in Nick's therapy right now. If yeah, I, I may, Gavin, real quick, sorry just to throw one thing out there. It, just as a case study for the whole, like trade your best player for a second round pick thing. Look at what uh, Detroit did with Andre Drummond just last year. I mean, he got traded and Drummond, I would say is a way better player than Julius Randall, um, you know, to in a lot of different ways. Although maybe viewed a little bit more through the lens of like a, a fossil of a big, you know, because yeah. was, was Blake on the team though at that point? He was, yeah. Yeah, so like mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a different situation just because you have that extremely marketable like former All NBA player on the roster, and I. You I know, mean, I think as far as marketability though, right? Like 
the Knicks the Knicks are probably going to want to market Obi Toppin more than Julius Randle. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and presumably he's you know if you're talking about scoring and stuff like stuff that's going to like put butts in seats theoretically we can't this year but you know Toppin is, probably does more than Randall in that regard because he's a much more vertical player you know as far as getting up there for the dunks and you know I I think he's functionally a better passer um you know I think he's probably a worse defender which is saying something than Randall although I just kind of went to bat for Randall's defense a second ago but um you know I think that I think Toppin is every bit as marketable and, and the Knicks probably in theory would want to market like the duo or the trio, I guess I should say of, of Randall Toppin Mitch more so than like Randall or, or I'm sorry, did I say Randall or Barrett, Barrett Toppin Mitch or Randall Barrett Mitch, whatever, you know, they, they would want to go with that young guy core more. I think if they're trying to market, especially because I think similar to Drummond, they would probably just to your point, see the writing on the wall that this is basically a contract year. He's a Mills and Perry guy. Now they're on to, you know, the Rose regime. They're probably not going to retain him next year. So if they get the opportunity to Brock Oller is probably looking at that $4 million being like, get that shit out of here. Like I don't like an extra $4 million on my cap sheet and is going to want to get rid of him if they're not planning on keeping him for the future. Now, it, you know, the thing that undercuts all this is this whole, that everybody's talking about well with like well Kentucky players are you know very coveted by the Knicks and Randall is obviously a former Kentucky player so maybe that plays into the situation too and maybe maybe I've been underrating that this whole time and they're actually enamored with him strictly regardless of if he was like a Mills guy they're enamored with him because he's a Kentucky guy but I, I could see sort of a Drummond situation playing out where they just sort of say someone else wants to take him feel free. You know, like he has one more year in his contract. You can make the decision on that. We don't care. You know, maybe you'll want to keep him for $18 million for one more year, but like he doesn't have a future here. So we'll just give him up for whatever we can get. Go, go ahead. Tom. Well, I guess just my concern is that Dibs is going to keep his rotation to just like, uh, it's going to be very much an earn your stripes sort of mentality. And like Randall's been here before. He's like a proven, he was, he was almost 20 and 10 last year. And I think that that means something like he's proven he can play at this level. And Obi's going to have to prove himself, and I would I would love for for Toppin to be marketed, you know, in favor of Randall, you know. But I I just I just don't know that he's going to have that opportunity in this in this first year. That's just kind of my take on it, though. Yeah, I think my core issue with it is with, with starting Randall over Toppin, which which I agree with you, Tom. I, I would be at this point I'd be shocked if Julius Randall wasn't starting is that you're encouraging all of Randall's worst tendencies by doing show so and you're putting him in the absolute worst position to succeed. We we've seen this show once. We we know how it works out and it it is pretty pretty horrible. Um outside of the fact that I I mean the the only advantage of it is, is that you're presumably playing with Mitchell Robinson and the Knicks were like genuinely the worst defense in basketball with Randall on the floor without Robinson. They gave up 114.2 points per 100 possessions. Randall with um, Mitch, they gave up 109 points per 100 possessions. Granted, having Nerlens Noel mitigates that a little bit. And then offensively, they've, I mean, they've really, really struggled because they didn't, it's so simple. It's exactly what we were talking about with Knox. There just isn't enough shooting on the floor if you're going to play Julius Randall at power forward. He had the one season with the Pelicans where he was sort of decent from three. I argued before they signed him that was a mirage. It, it proved to be a mirage. Outside of that, he has been, um, I, I hesitate to say historically bad because there are a lot of power forwards who can't shoot that well. 
but but one of the worst shooting power forwards from distance in, in all of basketball. And I think I think that's ultimately who he is. And and what was really scary was I mean he he didn't have any kind of ideal shot selection when he played with essentially the same players who will be starting this season. Um, there was a stat um, from Cleaning the Glass that there were only two big men in the entire NBA who played over a thousand minutes and were assisted on less than half their field goals. It was Giannis and it was Julius Randle. Um, and and Randle didn't only finish second to Giannis in his overall rate of unassisted shots. He was also second in the percentage of his unassisted, in, excuse me, second in percentage of unassisted mid-rangers attempted, third in percentage of unassisted shots at the rim. Again, hat tip to Jonathan Macri on the stats. Um, as he points out, essentially everyone else who fit those descriptors were all-stars. It was Nikola Jokic, it was Joel Embiid, LaMarcus Aldridge, Carl Anthony Towns. And granted, again, some of that was the fact that Fizdale empowered him to be that kind of player. But I also think playing with Alfred Payton, like a guy who would just like spoon feed him time and time again, encouraged a lot of those tendencies. And if he was going to operate like that, and I guess it's a fair question to say, can Julius Randle operate any other way? Um, it, it was the worst possible lineup to do it in because he was playing with clogged lanes and that forced him to take a ton of mid-range shots. And he was awful at taking mid-range shots last season. You want to see the best version of Julius Randle, it, it's what I said before, surround him with as much shooting as humanly possible, play him off the bench, whether it's Emmanuel quickly, whether it's Iggy Brasdakis, even, even if against opposing bench units, I mean, it's, you're going to give him a million points, but maybe you'll score a million points. You can play him and Toppin as the two bigs. You can throw... I don't know, Alec Burks, Austin Rivers out there. You can put together lineups with a decent amount of shooting. And the good news about that is, like, again, like, Randall is very, very good at finishing at the basket. He's really good when he cuts. Out of out of um, just over 100 players who had at least one cut to the basket last year, Randall ranked 11th in, in points per possession. He scored 1.49 points. So that was shooting approximately 74% on, on cuts last season. He was really, really good when he could just catch the ball and go up and finish. And for that to happen, he needs to play with shooting to have an open lane to get there. And he needs to play with guys who are skillful enough to pass it. And Alfred Payton, just because guys are again and again going to duck far underneath him, even though he's a good passer, it, it gets canceled out because the lane is going to be clogged up. So I know I'm, I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but I just can't drive home enough how far you're encouraging Randall's absolute worst tendencies by playing him with Alfred, RJ, and Mitch again, it just doesn't make any sense. The definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, it feels like that's going to happen again, and I'm preemptively very upset about it. So so I predicted that Randall would lead the team in, in points and rebounds and usage. Do you guys think that that's, that's crazy? I don't. I think, I think points. I, I would probably predict RJ, but I could, I could see it. Um, rebounds? I, I would hope Mitch, but if Nerlens is going to be playing half the minutes, then yeah, it, it probably will be Randall. Yeah, I, I don't know for sure. It's tough to say. I mean, uh, I, I think if I'm being honest with myself, yeah, I could definitely see it. Like, Tom, I feel like you're probably being more realistic than me, and I'm being more idealistic <laughs> of what I would want to see. Um, I could probably see a world where that happens. I hope that it doesn't, because... I really just like you kind of I think that this is effectively a contract year for Randall and giving him that much time and attention on this team, I think would be a mistake, given the fact that he's most likely going to be one foot out the door unless he literally is so good that like you that you can justify it. But 
on the same token, why did you just draft Obi Toppin then? You know, that's I guess that's my other thing with this is why would you draft Obi Toppin if you're going to be trying to commit a ton of time and energy to Julius Randle, which I guess we'll see. I, I don't know. Um, and and Randle might be the ultimate litmus test for the whole Kentucky thing, too, uh, because if if they commit to him and give him tons of minutes and he still is basically playing like he did last year and and then, you know, even commit to him longer term after that, then that might be the first thing that really makes me kind of question this front office. But I suppose we'll see as far as that goes. I think we can, uh, unless either of you had anything, any final parting shots on Julius Randle real quick, we can move to Alec Burks and uh, get towards wrapping this thing up. Tom, anything? Let's Let's do it. Let's bring on Burks. All right, we'll get right back into it with Tom Piccolo. But first, NBA fans, listen up. The Locked On NBA podcast is getting you ready for the start of the regular season with a special week of team preview podcasts all this week. Plus, waiver wire editions from Locked On Fantasy Basketball and rookies to watch from draft guru Chad Ford. I personally will be tuning into the Atlantic Division preview because I'm curious what's going on with all these other teams other than the Knicks, I, I really what I want to hear about is why none of their rookies are as good as Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly, and uh, hear about their whatever stars that are not R.J. Barrett, our future lovely star of the future. Uh, but no, in reality, the Atlantic Division is really good, and it's it's very intriguing to me as a basketball fan. So I'm looking forward to listening to that, uh, and not just to hear my own voice. So subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get podcasts, and. Uh, Definitely check those shows out. And now we will get back to it with Tom Piccolo. All right. I'm ready for Burks as well. All right. So Alec Burks, new signing, not a Kentucky or CAA guy. He is like the one guy that everybody points to to say, ha, you're wrong. And <laughs> the Knicks don't only sign Kentucky and CAA guys. He's the um, example that proves the rule. <laughs> yes. But he is a former Utah Jazz player and did uh, play with Johnny Bryant, the new I believe they're calling the associate head coach. Like he gets the first billing under Tom Thibodeau, which is interesting. Johnny Bryant. Um, but anyway, so Burks, I mean, uh, Gavin and I have talked about this already. He might not be long for this team. Who knows? He, he, there's very, very strong vibes that he could be this year's Marcus Morris. Um, last year and the year prior, actually, he was traded at the deadline uh, to different teams in exchange for, I think both times just a pair of second round picks, but still not too shabby. I mean, he definitely went for a pair of second round picks last year um, from Golden State to Philly. In Golden State, he averaged something probably similar to what I could see him averaging in New York. He averaged 16.1 points uh, on 40.5% shooting, 37.5% from three, and 89.7% at the line. This guy is definitely a shooter. Uh, There's no denying that. He's... For his career, 36% from three. But over the last few years, I think that that number has gone up pretty significantly. He's really come into his own as a medium usage scorer, basically, that can, you know, he can defend a little bit. He passes the ball somewhat decently, um, averages two assists per game for his career, but last year averaged almost three. And, uh, you know, I think that he's, I think he's going to be a, a good player for the Knicks that sort of, like sets the it's like their veteran presence. Like he's, I, I don't want to keep going back to the analogy, but I think he's more or less going to be sort of a Marcus Morris type on this team. Although hopefully not as high usage where he's going to be that veteran that you can count on to score points when you need points scored. And he might even have his own Marcus Morris moment. Like when, 
you know, when Morris beat the Mavs last year, like he might have one of those moments where he hits a game winner or something and, you know, wins a game for the Knicks and everybody remembers it for years to come as the Alec Burks game or whatever. Um, but I, you know, I think that he's consistent. He's probably a guy that the Knicks are looking to quote unquote weaponize their cap space with and, you know, trade him for assets later on. But uh, Tom, once again, as we have each time, I'll throw it to you. What are your takes on Burks? And, you know, what do you think about him coming into the season as actually the only new face that we're talking about on this particular player capsule? Yeah, so I'll be honest, I did, I had not watched much of his game uh, from seasons past. Like there wasn't a whole lot of reason for me to just, you know, throw on some Alex Bur- Alec Burks tape. Um, so I kind of expected him to just sort of be like a vehicle for shooting and spacing. Like I was really expecting some Wayne Ellington stuff, like in the video and in the stats, I thought it would be all catch and shoot, just no free throw attempts. Um, but I was way off. Like this guy, he was just tremendous. Like on a high volume of off the dribble threes, he shot 39.4%. Um, I came prepared with another stat here. 64 players took at least a hundred pull up threes. And Burks ranked sixth of, among those 64 in a three-point percentage. The only guys better than him were J.J. Redick, Paul George, Dame Lillard, Jason Tatum, and shockingly Marcus Smart. But, I mean, he was he was incredible just pulling up, and a lot of them came out of pick and rolls. Like, he used, uh, like, well over a third of his possessions on, on pick and rolls as the ball handler and was super efficient off of those. So uh, he just had a lot more off-the-dribble creation ability than I expected. Um, I was, I was flat out impressed by his tape and, you know, I hope that he gets a lot of minutes on this team. I say, I saw he averaged just under 27 minutes per game across the, he's, he's played for five different teams over the last two seasons, which it might be kind of a red flag in some, you know, like that it's a little worrisome. Like why did all these teams want to pass on him? Like why were assets better? But I mean, those are, each one was situational. Um, either way, like he's someone that this team desperately needs. Um, I hope he doesn't kind of go the way of Ellington. I remember before last season, I was telling all my friends, like, just, you just watch Wayne Ellington. Like this guy can hit threes coming from, you know, off screens, just off balance, do all this crazy stuff. And, uh, he really, he really embarrassed me. Like he, he was so bad before the trade deadline and kind of salvaged his percentages a little bit. Uh, after the the trade deadline had passed. So I'm hoping that that Burks won't be a repeat of that, but I don't think he will be just because of his ability to kind of create his own offense for himself. So I'm, I'm excited to watch him play and I think he can do a lot of good stuff for, for the lineups. Yeah. I I'll, I'll throw another stat back at you again, courtesy of Macri. Um, If you look at guys last year who averaged uh, again, I always hate when people do this, when they take like hyper specific numbers and they're like, Look, it's him and two superstars, but I am I am going to do that exactly that right now. Um, he was at uh, twenty points, uh, six rebounds, four assists per thirty six minutes last year. Um, if you if you round up just a tiny bit, five point eight rebounds, three point nine assists. Uh, the other guys in that category who also shot at least thirty eight percent from three were Chris Middleton, Paul George, Carl Anthony Towns, and Brandon Ingram. If you take that a step further. Um, and say uh, which one of those guys who fit those qualifications were also in the top 15% in the league in assist percentage. You have just Alec Burks 
So if you talk about very specific stats in a very specific way, he is the best player in all of basketball. Which we are, and that's perfect. Yeah, right. What a coincidence. Oh, that, anyways, this is where I, I, I debut my greatest bold prediction that Alec Burks wins MVP this year. But <laughs> I, I, I do think there's a world when we talk about who will lead the Knicks in scoring this year. That's Maybe that's a whole podcast. I think Burks could potentially be the answer. And maybe not because he had a kind of a similar situation with Golden State last year. Um, though I guess I guess D'Lo was the alpha there, and he he was still, I think on Golden State he was only at around 16 points per game, um, which wasn't crazy. But I could see a world where he he gets up to 20 if he defends well enough. And to your point, Tom, I, I think it's easy. Like if you don't watch a guy game after game after game, it, it's it's easy to miss stuff by just looking at the stats. And I didn't dive into the film on Burks the way you did. So and I, I think I must be missing something because again. One, he would have had more value to the teams that he was already on. Two, I don't think the Knicks would have gotten him at such a good price, and I don't think he would have ended up on the Knicks. I think he would have been on a contender. So clearly there's something there with Burks. I, I usually assume that when when the stats don't show it, it's probably a guy's defense. Um, by and large, I assume someone who played for the Jazz for such a long time was part of all those teams that defended really, really well. I, I am assuming he's not atrocious, but I guess I don't know that for a fact. So may, maybe he's just deceived defensively. But offensively, um, I was I was ecstatic about the signing. I, I think he fills so many different lanes for the Knicks. An, another really good number on him. He was in the 89th percentile last season as a pick and roll ball handler as a scorer, um, getting just over a point per possession. You have Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel, who are absolutely elite finishers in the pick and roll. So I could see those guys being more frequent combinations. I, I just think Burks seems like such an obvious plug and play because to your point, Tom, he's probably the only guy in the Knicks who can consistently hit off the dribble threes. Maybe Emmanuel quickly by the end of the year also falls into that category. Jared Harper, someone who does a little bit of that if he's in the rotation, but he, he looks to me like he, he is somewhat unique in this Knicks um, ecosystem. And, and I think because of that, you can make an argument um, outside of Mitchell Robinson, he might end up being the single most indispensable player on this team. And I guess you can include RJ Barrett in that. Maybe you can make a statistical case for Julius Randle, but I think there is the case to be made that Burks could be the most important player on the Knicks this season. Yeah, I mean, look, when he was traded to Philadelphia last year, I think he only played, it was just 18 games, but he he lit it up. Like, he was he was on fire for those games, and that's why I was so surprised to see Philly didn't want to bring him back, because I know how shooting is such a premium there and such a focus there. Granted, I, I'm not like a big cap guy, so I don't really know kind of what their payroll situation is, but just the fact, and that's kind of what I was hinting at before, Gavin, is that, like, why didn't so many of these teams want want this guy? Why did he play for five teams in, in two years? Um, but hey, he, he's on our team now. We'll we'll find out soon enough. Alex, what do you what, what did you think about him? Yeah, I think uh, the thing that really stands out with me in looking at him is just like he's just good at shooting. Period. Like Tom, you you alluded to this like with that that pull up number, the pull up threes. He shot almost forty percent last year. But on catch and shoot, he shot 37.7% too. And he's basically evenly distributed between the two. So like, he's not just a shot maker, he's like a shot creator. And that's something that the Knicks haven't really had consistently. Like, I I think that he's going to be, again, (laughs) I'll bring it up one more time, but like, he's going to be sort of a fake superstar like Marcus Morris was for the Knicks last year. And I would not be surprised if he got mega, mega hot shooting the ball too, because I do think, you know, for all the flaws that the Knicks have, I think they do have enough guys that can draw attention away from him enough that he can still thrive. But they're also, you know, lacking in talent enough that they could rely on him as potentially their primary scorer. 
I mean, it, there it's kind of crazy to think about, but like there is a world where he could be, at least for stretches, the number one option on the Knicks, you know, and you would hope that RJ Barrett, you know, is good enough to just snatch that. Or, you know, maybe Julius Randle will end up being entrusted with that much responsibility. But hopefully Randle will be put in less situations where he has to create his own looks and stuff. And uh, that'll, you know, sort of sort itself out. Maybe Randle will still be a prolific scorer, but, you know, in a in more pick and roll situations and stuff like that, rather than trying to create his own. Whereas Burks like might end up being the best shot creator that this team has. And I think that it's funny, like, you know, we talked about this on our episode with with Terry from NYK Terry and Trey the other day, you know, just about how it's been easy to sort of forget about some of the guys that were already on the team. Because, like Reggie Bullock, for example, we were saying like Reggie Bullock could potentially be really good this year and potentially eat up a lot of minutes as like a shooter. Like there's so many guys where it's up in the air where you could either see them playing, you know, 20 minutes a game or zero minutes a game. Um, and, you know, Bullock is one of those. But Burks, like for whatever reason, maybe it's just because he's just kind of been this quietly good scorer for a number of years now to the point that you were saying, Tom, like you had to look up his statistical profile and stuff like because I've always just kind of been aware of Alec Burks's existence via like NBA 2K and stuff. But like, you know, he's never a guy that like I go out of my way to see. And, you know, he's never played on any teams that were so good that they're, you know, unavoidable, you know, to see on TV or whatever. So I felt like I didn't really know that much about him either. But, you know, he's sneakily pretty good. And I feel like people keep forgetting, like, you know, we're having all these discussions about like, oh, like, you know, Frank versus DSJ versus Alfred, you know, like for point guard and like who's going to get more shots or whatever out of RJ and Randall, like who's going to play more out of Randall and Toppin. But I think it's kind of getting forgotten. Like Alex Burks is pretty damn good. And I could really see a world where he ends up being the entrenched starting whatever you want to call him, like two, three, like I, I think in an ideal world, you could have him and RJ starting, you know, at the two, three spots, you know, and not really have defined positions for either one of them. Uh, just say they're both your wings. But I mean, I, I think that he could be entrenched for like potentially this whole year. Um, barring a trade, which I think best case scenario, if you could pull the Marcus Morris maneuver and trade him for a first rounder, particularly in this upcoming draft, like, you do that in a heartbeat, even if you can get like a, a high second rounder maybe for him in this upcoming draft, it it's probably worth it. Um, especially considering if you really wanted to, you could resign him next year too <laughs> and send him to a contender. Now resign him next year. If he wants to come back on another affordable deal again and do it all over again, which was what we said. About again next year. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. yeah and then trade him again. That was what we said. You know, I, I think we had floated that about Marcus Morris. Yeah, before. We too, said, like, I was constructing a scenario where we just trade Marcus Morris for five straight seasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just trade him in perpetuity. It's a treadmill but, of first round picks. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's something I could definitely see happening. And I do think it's been kind of underrated um, by fans and media alike. Like, I just feel like he's not really getting, uh, there's not a lot of talk about him. And I think that there's a chance that within a week or two of the season, or maybe even just after these first couple preseason games, which like as a full disclosure, we're recording this before right before the first preseason game a day before. So we haven't seen them in action yet, but you know, there's a chance that after the first couple preseason games, even that we're like, Oh yeah, Alec Burks, he's, he's going to be a big deal this year. Like he's going to be a big part of whatever it is the Knicks are doing. Yeah, I think he should be. I mean, just with the shooting ability alone, like this team's going to need shooting every place they can get it. You know, when you're when your point guard rotation is what it is between 
Peyton, Nilakina. I mean, Nilakina will probably be playing off off ball mostly, actually. So Peyton, Dennis Smith Jr., maybe some Austin Rivers. Like it, it's pretty, you know, tough sledding there. And then R.J. Barrett, you you hope that he improved his shot, and I, I expect him to. But even to get that up to to the point where he's like respected by defenses, I I think that'll come in his career. I don't know that it will be in year two. It's just it's going to be really tough. So every position they can get shooting at, they, they got to take advantage of it. And I think. Uh, you know, Alec Burks, his name's a little hard to say, so maybe that's why people aren't talking about him as much. It's kind of like you want it to just roll together, like call him Alex or something like that. But Alec Burks, uh, I think he'll be a, a player that Knicks fans actually enjoy watching. Yeah, I think I, – I, I really I really believe he's going to essentially be what Marcus Morris was offensively. Defensively, I don't think – I don't think he's quite the same player, and that's that's the difference in their value. Anyways, that's, that's a great note to wrap up on. Uh, Tom? Really appreciate you joining us. I know you're kind of in between spots right now, but can you let people know uh, where they can find you on social media and eventually find all your work? Certainly, yeah. You can find me at Tom underscore Piccolo on Twitter, and you could listen to the Talking Knicks podcast on the John Boy Media Network. That's where we'll be. So, uh, yeah, we'll be be talking every week about these Knicks and probably some other stuff too when the Knicks get a little (laughs) – when it gets a lot of hand. But, hey, we'll be there. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Tom. We really appreciate you taking the time, as always. And uh, I know this won't be the last time, so. but thanks for coming on this time. And until next time, you know, I, I hope you enjoy the season and everything. And everybody definitely check out Talking Nick if you haven't already. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys.